hard to believe that Christmas Eve is around the corner, and we are looking forward to celebrating with you this year. We're calling our Christmas Eve service at the chapel this year, Joy to the World. Not just because it's a famous Christmas carol that we sing, but it's because we all need joy right now. And we want to discover together how can we have a joy, a peace, a happiness, no matter what's happening in our world. We want to discover that together. This year is going to be different. Yes, we want to gather, but we want to gather differently. So in order to do that, we're going to offer multiple services that you can choose from at all three of our campuses, either the night before on the 23rd or, of course, Christmas Eve. And if you can't come this time, we're going to have an option for you to watch online at our 3.30 service as well to make sure you tune in. If you can come this year, and we really hope you do, text the word Christmas to this phone number on the screen. When you do that, you're going to be able to pick the time that works best for you and your family. Also, we have child care for those three and under, so make sure they can come and celebrate this year. We are looking forward to celebrating Jesus, who is the reason for the season. We hope to see you at our Christmas Eve service tonight. Don't know if you guys have met my twin brother, Derek. That was him on the screen. I know, that was, that was a lame joke. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have started that way. But we are uh, ready to kick off Christmas. Uh, it's all about a month away, which is crazy, and we want you to be here. We know how crazy everything is. So like I said on the video, we have an online option if you don't feel comfortable coming, but uh, we do have many, many options. We're going to keep it like this, and we're going to keep it to where there's not a lot of people. But sign up soon. We have already have one slash two that are pretty much full. And so make sure you sign up. And then if you have a, a child three and under, you can also sign up for child care. Make sure you do that. If you've already signed up and you forgot to do that, message uh, Brittany Wadsworth or anyone at the chapel, and we will make sure to hook you up with that as well, okay? I also want to just say thank you for bringing your OCC boxes, our Operation Christmas Child boxes. One of my favorite things was seeing little kids come in with them. I was walking a mom out uh, to her car, and she said, my kids actually like giving more than receiving. I said, that's exactly why we do this. We teach kids that. So what an incredible, incredible thing. Also, right after this service, uh, we have some faithful volunteers who are packing up the boxes as we speak to ship them out, and they need some help from us. And so around 12.30, 12.45 the service, they're going to be over here. If you'd stick around just for a few minutes and help if you can, that'd be a big blessing. All right? So we are uh, finishing up our message series on 1 John chapter 5. We've been looking at 1 John over the last five weeks, and we get to finish up with one of my favorite verses in 1 John. It is definitely a challenge, though. I'm going to tell you that right away. And we're going to be looking at one verse in particular. And before we get there, though, I want to ask you some questions. Now, these are revealing, honest questions. And yet I want you to be honest in your heart and mind with the answers to these questions. Okay? So just think about them as I put them on the screen. More than anything, I want. What do you want more than anything? More than anything, I need. What do you need more than anything? More than anything, I love. More than anything, I love. More than anything, I'm seeking. More than anything, I'm seeking. Finally, more than anything, I find comfort in. More than anything, I find comfort in. Now, in no particular order, some of the things that I came up with was family, 
approval, love, and respect. Now, those things are good things. I don't think anyone would, would say, Eric, those are not good things. And it's true. The problem is, is finishing the sentence with more than anything. Meaning, when these good things become ultimate things in our lives, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. When we want these things more than anything else, then these things go from a good thing, which God wants to give us, to an ultimate thing. We can take his place in our lives. This is why of all the things John ends his letter with, he ends it with a warning and a command. He says it this way in the NIV version. He says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, idol is not usually a word that we use in our culture unless we're talking about American idol. But what is an idol? Well, in the NLT version of the Bible, which we use at the chapel, it actually helps us understand what an idol is. John says in the NLT version, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So an idol is anything where God's supposed to be here, and then we say, God, instead of you being here, I'm going to put something else in your place. And we end up worshiping that. We end up bowing down to that. It becomes more important than anything in our lives. And that's why John ends with a warning saying, look, this happens. And you let anything but Jesus take his rightful place in your heart, there are going to be some consequences. Some things you may not even recognize because of it. So what I want to do as we close up this message series, I want to ask three questions of this verse. First of all, why is it so wrong? Secondly, what are the consequences? And third, how do we keep ourselves from idols. So the first question is, why is it so wrong? Many of you in this room probably have read through or know the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to ask you to recite them all, but even if you're not a Christian, if you were to hear some of these commandments, you would probably think, yeah, that makes sense. If I were to abide by these and, and bring these into my life, then I would probably live a pretty good life. Now, as a Christ follower, we're not under the law anymore, so we don't have to abide by these Ten Commandments per se. But even so, I want to abide by some of these commandments because they have some really good things to say. Things that we shouldn't do. Like it says, do not murder. That's probably something we shouldn't do. I think we'd all agree that's a good thing not to do. Honor your mother and father. Some of you are going to go home and remind your kids of that commandment in the Ten Commandments. Do not covet from your neighbor. Do not steal. Rest. How many of you would be good to rest for a day? God's asking you to do that. So those are some of the commandments. Now I wonder, when John is writing this last verse in 1 John 5, I wonder if he has this following commandment in mind. It's the first commandment of all ten commandments, and everything else is built upon it. Here's what it says. Exodus 20, 3-4. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, of or an image, or anything in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the sea. You must not bow to them, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Pastor Eric Raymond says, this verse points out two things. Robbery and perversion. He puts it this way. It's robbery because we take what is due to God and we give it to something else. And it's perversion because we give the devotion, excuse me, we give the devotion God rightly deserves to other things. 
Now, when I read that passage and I read this quote, I'm thinking, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put anything in God's place. I don't want to rob something of God that he deserves or pervert my relationship with God. The problem is we all do it. And the bigger problem is we don't even know it. Many of us bow down to these false gods on a daily basis. Now, we don't wake up in the morning and there's an altar and we say, oh, God, let me bow down to you. But it's there. So either every morning, we either bow down to a false god over here or Jesus over here. So what I'm going to walk through with you for the next few moments is, how do we recognize some of these gods on this altar? Tim Keller is my favorite author, I admit that, and I read all of his books, but one of my favorite books of his is a book called Counterfeit Gods. I recommend it to you for two reasons. One, it's short. I like short books. The second thing is, it exposes what I'm about to show you in a really, really significant way. You see, an idol answers the question of value and worth. In other words, where are we finding our value and worth? It's either going to be found in Jesus or it's going to be found in something else. That's why Tim Keller says, we usually... We'll figure out our idols if we can figure out where our meaning is and what we have worth it and then back it up to see where it's coming from. And you're going to know if it's an idol for two reasons. One, you're going to pursue this thing and pursue this thing and pursue this thing and you're going to be relentless about it and hopefully you finally get it. Or when you don't get it or it doesn't happen, it shows you how disappointed we really are in life, how it wrecks us, how it makes us question, do we even have worth and value in this life? So let me show you what some of these things are. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. In other words, we call this power idolatry. Now, everything I'm going to show you, you could say it's a good thing, and rightfully so. The problem is when it goes from a good thing to an ultimate thing, or a good thing to a God thing, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. So to have power over someone and influence over someone, a lot of us do. Supervisor, your boss, your parent. But when you have to have influence over people, you have to be the boss, you have to be the one to have power over people, then maybe it's gone from a gift that God wants to give you to a God thing itself. I only have worth if I am loved and respected by whom? Also known as an approval idolatry. None of us wake up and think, okay, I want to be loved and approved by so-and-so. But we live that way whether we recognize it or not. There are people in your family, in your friendships, in your school, in your workplace, even on the internet where you're saying to yourself, if they like me, then I will have worth. If they approve of me, if they are okay with me, then I have value. We live for other people's value. And what they say about us and other, and instead of finding it solely in Jesus. I've said this before. I've been off social media for about four months now. I share my wife's business stuff. But other than that, I don't usually get on. And the reason is, is because even when I would post things that weren't about me, and I would think it's about the chapel, or I think it's about my family, or I think it's about other people, I would have to go on and see how many likes I had. And see who commented on it. And then I would be like, oh, why didn't that person comment? Why didn't that person like it? And you could be like, yikes, you were obsessed. And then I would say exactly why I had to get off. 
man, I would find my whole value and worth. And then if somebody didn't like it or other people had more than me, then it somehow would mess with me. And my counselor finally was like, look, this is messing with you. You can't be on this. Like, you can't dabble in it. You are so addicted to this thing. Finding your worth and value, you got to get off for a while. It's changed my life. But I had to recognize it first. Life has meaning only when I'm able to get mastery over areas in my life. We call this control idolatry. I call this the whack-a-mole idol. If you're a control freak, you want to have control over something. And you finally hit the whack-a-mole. And then all of a sudden, two other things pop up. And then you try to get control, then other things pop up. And then you feel out of control. And then you don't feel like you have worth or value. And you feel like you're not enough because you can't control everything. Many of us deal with that. If I'm honest, and that's okay if I step on some toes, a lot of us, we're seeing this idol come out with all the pandemic stuff, with political stuff, when our candidate either got voted in or didn't get voted in. We lost control and we got angry. Or if we have to wear a mask or don't wear a mask, some things come out of us, it's because we're trying to control it. We can't control a pandemic. I wish we could, because I would if I could. We can't. And when we're losing control of the things that we have had to control, that's when a lot of relationships get damaged. I'm seeing people throw relationships away because of a mask or because of a whatever. It's because of this. It's been in us. It just reveals it. I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image. I call this image idolatry. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. Nothing wrong with eating healthy. Nothing wrong with working out and doing those things. The problem is, if we miss a workout, or we have to eat something a little unhealthy, and it wrecks us for the day, it may be an idol. If we go out to eat with somebody, and someone offers us maybe a little slice of cake, and we freak out because we know that that's going to do for our calorie intake that day, it may be an idol. If we look in the mirror and we're devastated by a little bit of fat here or something here on our face or whatever it is, and it just ruins our day, it may be an idol. Many of us, men and women, deal with that. I'm highly productive and get a lot done. We call this the work idolatry. Nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with working. Nothing wrong with getting a lot done. What is wrong is when we put work above family, work above relationships, a position over being moral and actually getting the position because you did right, not because you did something over here to cause you to get that position. To not have to talk badly about coworkers so you look better in front of the boss. That's a work idol. Some of us have that. And then finally, I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and nice possessions. And this is what we call materialism. In our Western culture, this is one that we all deal with. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. Nothing wrong with having a nice car. Nothing wrong with having nice clothes. Nothing wrong with having nice stuff. But if that stuff defines us, and we have to have more of it and more of it and more of it to give us status, worth, value, then this gift that God has given you is turned into something that we're bowing down to. And there's consequences to it. And what really frustrates me about these gods that I bow down to they make a lot of promises that they can't keep. And they tell me what my life could look like if I attain it. But it forgets to tell me what my life will look like when I don't. Because there's some consequences to these things. And the ultimate consequences that I can tell you 
that you can know beyond a shadow of doubt if you're worshiping something other than Jesus. So you don't have a lot of joy in your life. You're not satisfied. You're not content. You're always striving. You're wanting more. You're wanting something to give you something that it can't give you. And it wrecks you. And it hurts your relationship with God and it hurts a relationship with other people. Let me tell you, there is a consequence when we reserve Sunday for Jesus and Monday through Saturday for other gods. Many of us wonder why our relationship with God is ice cold. It's because he only has a part of us. And I think if Jesus were here today, he would tell us, I either have all of you or I have none of you. I don't want to share you with anyone else. What's interesting is right before verse 21, John tells us in verse 20, we have all we need in Jesus. I love, he says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we can just know the true God. And we have live in fellowship with this true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. A lot of people think eternal life and they think after we die. But Jesus says, I've come to give life here to the fullest. He says, when you know me and you really live for me and we're, we're one and you're just bowing down to me, that life after death, this amazing, purpose-filled, joy-filled, peace-filled, satisfied life you think you can have after death, you can have right now. But when we find it over here and we're trying to find it in other things like our stuff or our body image or our work or other people, we won't have it. It's the reason why so many of us are miserable in life and trying to fix it. It's a God problem, not a life problem. I think Mike Lawfren's pretty clear when he says, when we look to find our ultimate life in anything else but him, idols result, and the consequences are not freedom, but bondage. Would you say your life is free right now, or are you enslaved to something? Are you truly just free, satisfied, enjoying life, even when disappointments come, or would you say, man, I just feel like something has control of me. A God thing. Or the result is not joy, but disappointment. Not disappointment when something doesn't happen in your life. That's circumstantial. I'm talking about you're living under a cloud of darkness. I'm not talking about people that have depression. That's something totally different. I'm just saying there are certain things in life we walk around disappointed in life. It has nothing to do with our mental health and all to do with who's the person that's on the throne of our life. So many times I'm disappointed in life and I have to look, who's the God of my life right now? Ah, it's not Jesus. No wonder I'm limping along right now. I love how he ends this. He says, an outcome is not the life that Christ intends, but a cheap imitation that only keeps us wanting more. Are you settling for a cheap imitation of joy? Or are you truly having joy? You can find that in Jesus. And so what I want to do as we close up is I want to give you a few practical ways that you and I can replace these gods that we bow down to on a daily basis, whether we recognize or not, and make sure Jesus is on the throne. And the first one is, is, is pretty simple, but it's really hard to do, is just keep discovering real life in Jesus. You know, John says in a few earlier verses that this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has 
the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. He's just saying, look, every single moment of every single day, you can come to Jesus or come to this other God, but when you bow down to Jesus, you surrender to him, you give him control, he's your worth, he's your value, he's your satisfaction, you can have life. And we know what's awesome about Jesus what I love about Jesus is when we partner together in this thing called life, he starts to shine a bright light on the things that take his place in my life. He doesn't shame me and be like, man, Eric, it's about time I'm back on the throne. He's saying, Eric, I love you so much as my child that I want to point these things out to you right now. Do you know over 20 times in 1 John, John says, dear children, not to talk down to them, but to remind them that they are a child of God because of what Jesus has done, to find their hope and worth in him. The second thing that we have to do, we have to keep the right company. That the people in our lives matter, especially those who are in the inner circle of our life. They are going to reinforce this side of our worship or this side of our worship. I love one quote that I've heard. It says, show me your friends and I'll show you your life will eventually look like. People in your inner circle, just tell me who they are and I'll be able to tell the kind of life that you are living. Same with me. Paul and I are strategic. It's who we place at the core of our lives. Because I want people in my life who will speak truth to me in love. I don't want to get beaten. I want someone to say, hey, Eric, man, looks like work's getting in the way of your family. Or looks like you're caring a little bit more about what you look like on the outside than what's going on on the inside. Meet people like that. We want to be like that to people. I love what John says earlier in this letter. He says, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light does not cause others to stumble. The people in your life should be the ones that when you do stumble, they're helping you up. You should be in their life helping them not stumble, pointing out, man, God's not the center of your life right now. Let me help you. Let me show you. Accountability is so key. Who's at the center of your life matters. People and, of course, Jesus. I love what David McLemore says about this. He says, we all, fashion, uh, we all fashion our own personal idols, but the company we keep either reinforces them or poisons them. Do the people in your life reinforce other things that are taking God's place in your life? Or are they helping you get them out of your life? Those are the people you need to surround yourself with. Thirdly, it's not on the screen, is do something practically to knock the idol off the altar. If we recognize this God over here and we don't do anything about it, then we might as well just keep going as if it still exists. <laughs> we gotta, we have, a, have the practical way of knocking it off the altar. So like if you're working too much, we have to, th- we have to have come up with a plan that's going to help you not work as much or put your family first. I know that's really, really hard to do. But there's a way. If you can't take one bite of cake First of all, just give it to me. I'll eat it. Second of all, we got to ask ourselves why. What's going on at the center of your heart that if you think you took a bite of this, you're going to gain weight and thus look a certain way? Didn't you know Jesus loves you? we got to get to the heart of that. Materialism. The only way to starve materialism, to poison it, is generosity. The only way. And that's why I told you at the beginning when a mom said to me, Eric, We went out and bought our stuff for our OCC box, and my daughter said she would rather give than get. And I thought, that's how you knock off an idol. And we want to enable you to do that at our church. Somebody 
in our church has far much more resources than I have, stepped up and said, I want to make this happen. When you leave today, every family is going to get a $20 gift card to Meyer. And all we're asking you to do as a family is to consider how can we give back to someone in our community? Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. And what we want to do is take this, and I want you to spend this on somebody who's not in your inner circle. Now, if you want that person to be back in your inner circle, and maybe there's a falling out, maybe you can use it for that. But, but not a family member or a friend that you see. I want you, to, I want you to spend this on someone who votes differently than you, or believes differently about you than the, than the coronavirus. I want you to spend it on someone that you that worship Allah. I want you to spend this on someone who doesn't know Jesus. I want you to spend this on somebody that you don't even know who may be wondering who Jesus is and by you giving this to them or helping them with this that they're going to discover who God is because frankly a lot of Christians aren't doing a really good job of that right now a lot of people have a really bad view of God what if we could redeem that by just doing something special for them so when you lead today as your family you're going to get one of these and in our chapel kids program we were able to give them this and we were then they came up to me like my son Mike and Hudson did. Dad, what, what's our mission? And we're going to be able to do this together as a family. I love that we get to do that. I want to make sure I get everything right here. Oh, um, some of you, like me, are prideful. And you're going to go, I don't need this card. Someone else can take it. And I applaud your supposed humility. The people who struggle with materialism the most are the people that won't take this. Because... We think we're fine. No. You know why I need this? Because it's going to be a reminder, a burning reminder in my credit card or my wallet that I want to go give this away to somebody. Even though it's not my money, I want to use this to knock off a material idol or God that often is there, but I just excuse it away. And what you can do, though, is I'm asking you, you can be a multimillionaire. I want you to still take this, but then I want you to multiply it. So if you are a multimillionaire, you better put a couple grand behind this or whatever you want to do. But put it $5 behind it or $10 or whatever. Or pull it together with some of your friends or your small group and do something spectacular for somebody. But still take it. Also, a great way, to, here's some creative ways to use it. Go up to somebody you don't know, give it to them. Another way you can do it is say they're buying gas at Meyer because it's a Meyer gift card. Go ask, go share this with them. Or you can go and buy cookie stuff and bake cookies and go give them to a lot of people. Or you can buy oil at that Meyer gas station, go change someone's oil. Whatever you want to do, just bless somebody. And when you leave, you're going to get a card that looks like this. And we'll put that on the screen for you here. And you do not have to give this card away, but it's just an easy way to show that it's from God to them. You'll notice on this gift card and the card you get, it doesn't say the chapel's name because we don't want it to be about the chapel. We want it to be about Jesus. It's the reason why we went and dropped off some gift cards at New Jerusalem Church with Pastor Calvin Dorsey, or Cal Calvin Dorsey, Curtis Johnson. Calvin's my other friend. Curtis, who we love and we want to partner with in the community, they're going to do the same thing. And what I really don't want you to do, I'm, I'm forbidding you to do this. Please, don't go, on, don't go on social media and say what you did right for somebody. You want to know why? Because when you do that, it, doesn't, it turns more about you than it does about God. It turns more about the chapel than it does about God. We don't want that. We want it to be about Jesus, period. So give it away in secret because Jesus meets us in the secret places and he honors that. 
So give it away in secret. And then finally, what, what we would love for you to do is let us know how you did it so we can celebrate it as a church. I want to stand up before you over the next few weeks and start sharing stories of how God was honored through generosity. And so email us, stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S, at thechapel.family. You could personally email it to me, eric, at thechapel.family. I want to collect these stories and we want to share them with people. What a cool thing to do right before Thanksgiving and Christmas to go bless some people. I already give you that opportunity. John could have said anything. Then at first John, he could have reminded them of God's love. He could have said anything and he said, look, it's going to be really easy to replace Jesus in your life with something else. Don't do it. Instead, find your satisfaction in Jesus for he has come to give you life and life to the full. Let's pray together. Father, you are such a generous God. You gave us Jesus. You give us breath to breathe every day so we can have life. We are thankful for the generosity of someone in this church to step up and to allow us to do this. We want to take this seriously. Lord, ultimately, we don't want the chapel to get credit. We don't want to get credit. We want you to get credit. So if someone who is questioning you or, or gave up on you all of a sudden gets this, it's a reminder of you who are pursuing them. And this could be that final thing that they needed to see in order to believe in you. We thank you, Lord. And we ask that you would be the central person and God of our lives so we don't have to find it in anything or anyone else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you're about to be dismissed.